This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gunai Kurnai people. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hi, welcome to the Inner Gippsland Children and Youth Learning Exchange, a podcast dedicated to showcasing some of the innovative research and practice taking place across our region. I'm Dr. Chloe Benson from Federation University Australia, and over the coming months, I will be sitting down with a series of practitioners, researchers, and members of our community who are working to improve the well-being of Gippsland's children and youth. Through these conversations, we hope to shine a light on some of the challenges, but also the many innovations, opportunities, and exciting projects that are going on in our communities. By sharing these stories, we aim to spark dialogue, to foster connections and networks, and ultimately, to contribute to improved outcomes across the inner Gippsland children and youth sector. Over the course of this series, we have heard from a range of researchers and practitioners who are leading the way on various fronts in the children and youth wellbeing sector. In today's episode, we're taking a deeper dive into the importance of leadership in this space. We know in broad terms that leadership is crucial to effective functioning and practice within any organisation. In the human services sector, leadership is particularly pertinent as organisations in this space must address complex problems, often whilst facing frequent change or uncertainty. Pursuing a strong unified vision under such circumstances requires direction and influence. In this episode, I'm excited to share a series of shorter conversations with a range of leaders from across our region who kindly agreed to sit down with me to discuss the importance of effective leadership, as well as what it might look like in practice and how it might be fostered and developed. To kick things off, I sat down with Tim Pedlow, an experienced leader currently working as the Regional Director of Anglicare Gippsland. I asked him to share a bit about his background. Sure. So I'm the Regional Director here in Gippsland with Anglicare Victoria. Um, I've been in the role for probably two years um, and I've been with Anglicare for about 13 years. Uh, Prior to that, I've worked um, in the sector of disability and in child protection. Excellent. So you've got quite a bit of experience in this space. Yeah, I've worked in this space for the majority of my working life. And yeah, I'm passionate and have a real interest in it. And I know, yeah, as did the staff group as well. Yeah. Um, So in this episode where we're focusing on leadership in particular, and I guess more specifically, we're looking at leadership in our local region. So across inner Gippsland in particular, I wonder, based on your experience, do you think that working in a regional setting like Gippsland poses any unique challenges or even, I suppose, opportunities for these sort of types of leadership roles? Yeah, sure. I think... Probably the most obvious one is distance. Gippsland's a very large place uh, from Bass Coast uh, through South Gippsland, Latrobe Warble, all the way out to East Gippsland. And I think how we maintain connection to community, um, and in particular within Anglicare, we have six offices based across a large area. That can be a challenge in terms of 
scale and distance, but also I think, unfortunately, for many communities in Gippsland, we have higher issues and higher rates of various things which we don't want to be high in, such as family violence, uh, drug and alcohol, mental health issues, um, homelessness. So we have some real challenges in Gippsland. In saying that too, I think there are, as you say, plenty of opportunities. Um, in particular, I think our working relationships um, in country country areas, in my experience, I think we do tend to work more closely together than in metro areas. And I think that's because of relationships and that we see each other more often at various partnership meetings. And we probably, in my experience, have closer working relationships, yeah. um, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's. I think that's come through in um, other discussions I've had with people. And it is this interesting paradox in some ways where mm. we're kind of battling with the tyranny of distance and, and, you know, struggling to connect across space, but that actually there is also this really great collaboration and connection and sense of community in the region, which I think you know, I would agree, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I'm interested in with this episode is thinking about leadership moving forward um, and, and thinking about where this sector is going. So we hear a lot about the future of work. I wonder what changes you foresee in the sector uh, within the next, say, five to 10 years. And I suppose in particular, what do you think will be the biggest challenge facing leaders in the sector going forward? Well, there's certainly a lot of change at the moment. Um, we are in a reform environment, both with the current government um, in the children, youth and area space. We know there's been a number of inquiries and evaluations done, and we know that we are needing to respond earlier, that our service system in the children, youth and area space is more joined up and less siloed. To behind that change is the roadmap to reform, um, which is guiding the change from government. Um, but even last week, there was the Commissioner's report into the 35 suicides of young people known to child protection and the wider system. So there is a lot of work to do. Um, so I think you know the key elements are knowing the benefits of having a more joined up system. There's huge economic and societal benefits um, if we have a more joined up system that responds earlier to children, young people and families. So I think yeah, the challenges of many, particularly in a changing environment, how we guide our staff through that change. For inner Gippsland, we're at Orange Door launch site, which means that um, off the back of the Family Violence Royal Commission, Orange Door sites will be rolled across the whole state. So we're one of five um, to be rolled out initially. So that provides the entry point for victims of family violence, but also it's the entry point for all family services. So that's children, young people and parents who might need parenting support are coming in through the Orange Door too. So there's certainly a lot of change um, in how we work through and guide our staff through that change and obviously work together with government stakeholders and partners is critical. Yeah, so I guess um, different types of leadership there in terms of leading the change, leading the charge, doing things differently, but also the importance of um, leading the staff who are coming on that journey. Absolutely, yeah. And I think probably coupled with that would be how we advocate for more resources as well. We know through different inquiries, particularly last week and Leanna Buchanan's inquiry into into those 35 young people who took their own life. It's a tragic report, but at the same time, I think it does highlight we need to advocate for more resources, particularly in that child, youth and area family sector, so we can respond earlier. And I think how we look at more evidence-based programs as well, which show outcomes, they do come at a higher cost. Um, and I think that's something as a sector we need to have more discussion about. Yeah, certainly. I suppose part of continuing that advocacy and, and pursuing this change that you're talking about is about our future leaders. So I wonder what you think is needed to help develop our next generation of leaders. Look, that's a, a tricky one, which I think in a country area, I think how we maintain and 
uh, retain our talent locally is really important. I think in terms of um, in country areas, my experience has been probably more growers of our staff compared to in the metro area where you have a wider talent pool or people looking around for other career opportunities. I think in the country area, how we have more training opportunities, career pathways, also courses um, for people coming out of studies and graduates to look at in terms of career progression. I think in a country area, we have got other challenges compared to a metro setting. And I think probably how we work more together as well in terms of that cross-sector mentoring, how we support each other as well with our up-and-coming leaders. Um, I think there's opportunity, but I think also, yeah, we probably, I view it as we're probably more growers in a country area of our staff. Yeah, we just don't um, have as many people. There aren't as many people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. Yeah. What would you say that you find most rewarding about this work? Well, look, I always find the most rewarding is hearing the individual client stories. So within Anglicare, we have monthly reports, which I receive from all our streams and programs. And the top section is a highlight section around, you know, unbelievable stories of change and that human ability to overcome adversity, whether they've been a victim themselves of, you know, horrific abuse or trauma and how they've changed their lives, particularly if they've got kids in tow and supporting their children as well through that. I always take great inspiration from the stories. Um, and I think probably how we sh- share stories as well is something for us to think more about. Um, but I certainly, I think, I know from a staff group, yeah, there is a lot of inspiration that's gained when you hear an individual story, how they've changed their life around and overcome adversity. So I think that's probably the main thing that comes to mind. Excellent. Well, thank you for um, giving us your time, Tim, and, and for sharing some insights on leadership. Thanks, Chloe. Why do you think effective leadership is crucial to the child and youth wellbeing sector? Youth are our future. So without leadership driven by youth and them identifying their needs and interests, their wellbeing and future is not going to be as successfully achieved. Um, So young people, they really need role models to know what the limits of what they can be and, um, and, yeah, what they can aspire to achieve. Many, so many reasons for that. Uh, one is because it's not reasonable to ask children and very young people to be able to be their own leaders. The second is because good leadership provides social opportunity into the future in ways that we can barely measure, barely talk about. Providing good leadership in that sector changes so many generations beyond those that we're immediately working with. Well, I suppose it's like the forefront to just be able to shape a youth and it's like future, I guess. So effective leadership is the one thing shaping that. There's huge societal and economic benefits in improving our child youth and area sector and leadership is crucial for that. Having healthy young people turn into healthy adults mums and dads themselves who can make a positive contribution to society and their community both from an economic and societal point of view there's huge advantage for us effective leadership is about using is about using your voice to amplify the voices of others who may not be able to use their voice i think it's so important leaders and people in positions of authority clearing a path for children and young people to have their voices heard they have access to spaces that we don't and they need to create a platform for us to be able to advocate for ourselves The importance of creating spaces for young people to be heard and to lead is well documented. And a range of programs and initiatives across Gippsland 
are prioritizing this issue and helping to empower young leaders. As academic John R. Sita has observed, the benefits of including young people in leadership and governance are immense and can be seen as a logical extension of the strengths-based movement. As Sata summarizes, youth are the best experts on themselves. Berry Street's Why Change program is an exemplar of this. Initiated in 2016, the Why Change program provides opportunities for youth who have experienced disadvantage to share their valuable expertise and knowledge and to advocate on behalf of young people. I was fortunate enough to sit down with Kira and Janelle to discuss their participation in the program and to glean their insights into leadership and the importance of giving young people a place at the table. Welcome to the podcast, Janelle. I was wondering if you could give our um, listeners a bit of a, a bit of background about yourself and your current role with Berry Street. So I'm a physics science consultant with Life Change Berry Street. So I'm a shepherd and young person. I moved to Shep about three years ago after living on a dairy farm for majority of my life. So I moved to Shepton, studied a certificate for community services, and then I did the diploma. And now I am doing the certificate for an education support. Wonderful, wonderful. So it sounds like you're quite busy. One of the things, well, the thing that we're focusing on in this episode is leadership and effective leadership. We know that that's crucial to the child and youth wellbeing sector. Why do you think it's important that young people play a part as leaders? Having young people at the centre of the conversation is critical. They have valuable insight into issues and gaps and barriers that young people experience because they literally live it every day. So they're experts in their own life. Having young people with lived experience at the centre of the conversation is vital conversations could be program design, um, even in their one-on-one support with the youth worker, their voice and their experiences should be their focal point in any conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable point, isn't it? That, you know, young people have that lived experience and that needs to be informing the design and implementation of programs. So we know that having young leaders at the table is really important and sort of being able to draw on that lived experience is crucial. How do we make that happen? What do you think is needed to help develop our next generation of leaders and I suppose give them that opportunity to lead? I'm going to answer this in a little bit of a roundabout way. Yeah. <laughs> so a few days ago, I was asked by an individual, where do I see why change in 10 years? So I said, I'm on a youth advisory table at every job interview, every program development meaning like every youth organisation. I think that is what would help bridge a lot of the gaps and barriers that almost every service has. Some services don't realise that gap because they don't have the lived experience or the young people on those tables to say like, hey, this isn't okay for some people. And having uh, a young person at job interviews, especially like people employed in the service, it can make it or break the experience of a young person. So having a young person at job interviews can give such a valuable insight. In my change, we for a couple interviews we've done, we the Y change team members have been on the interview panels, which is a really great opportunity. Like I love doing it. I thought it was really awesome, uh, but it also gave really good insight into 
that person, how they respond to young people. In terms of program development, they can give amazing, insightful input into what programs should be. So, yeah, they can give really good input into what would be overlooked or missed by people without lived experience. You know, one of the things you're highlighting there is that we need a kind of genuine commitment to giving young people a a place at the table on a whole range of decision-making front. And I I like the point you make about the fact that in order to know where the gaps are, you sometimes you don't see the gaps until you have someone, you know, a young person there, for instance, to identify them. So by increasing that commitment, we can identify just how much it's needed, I suppose. Well, thank you for sharing those thoughts with us, Janelle. No worries. It was a pleasure. My name is Kira Aziz. I'm 19 years old and I'm a lived experience consultant with Berridge Street. I'm part of an initiative called Why Change and I got involved in that in 2017. And to tell everyone a bit about Why Change and what Why Change does, if a young people age 18 to 25 who have lived experience of disadvantage. This could be experiences of out-of-home care, mental ill health, family violence, and sexual assault. We go through six months of training in activism, campaigning, public speaking, facilitating, media, and self-care. And then we're employed as a casual staff member of Berry Street, and we use our lived experiences to create systemic change. Wonderful. Sorry, you just went a little bit quiet towards the end there, but I think we've got most of that. Why do you think it's important that young people play a part as leaders in this sector? I think young people and people with lived experience need to be valued as leaders and experts in their own right and in their own experiences. Because when with Why Change, I really like the perspective that it comes from that, of course, we gain opportunities from being a member in Why Change and gain skills. But the sector is really gaining from our expertise and the services and programs that we may have been a part of and now have influence over. So as you're pointing out, it is really important that we have young leaders. What do you think is needed to help develop our next generation of leaders? I believe to help develop our next generation of leaders, we need more spaces like Why Change. Not only support young people, but create a space for others to listen to young people and people with lived experience. It's also so important to hold people and organisations to account for including young people and people with lived experience to have a spot at the table because currently we get excluded from conversations and decisions that will directly affect us. And I think it's just so important for organisations to understand that people in the services are the key for making it run better and more efficiently. People with lived experience know how the policies and services and programs feel and look like for real-life people and how it affects people. So in order for the system to work, it needs to be designed by lived experience. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Half of our work is just convincing people why they should listen to us and then the other half is when we actually get to do the work. Kira is currently in the process of developing a podcast of her own. Here, Kira describes that project in more detail. One thing I'm really passionate about is using my lived experience to advocate about the long-term impacts of sexual assault. And I recently received funding from the Victorian Women's Trust to create a project called Project Unbroken. I'm working alongside other people with lived experience to share how we have survived life after sexual assault. And the focus of Unbroken is on the aftermath of sexual assault and looking at what people have done to piece their lives back together 
how they've survived long-term, or even how they've learned to thrive. We'll be sharing these insights through a podcast and we'll be talking to police, hospitals, psychologists and other support services to create how-to videos and asking the questions that survivors want to know. And through this, we hope that sharing our knowledge and expertise, we can advocate for change in the systems and services that are letting survivors down. What leadership advice would you give to your younger self? Be much braver. To be more confident, follow my gut instincts, listen more and be more open-minded. That's probably more than one. (laughs) (laughs) Give it a go. Don't be afraid to speak up. Your voice and opinions are valid and important. And don't let anyone try to dismiss your voice. So probably that I need to work on being happy and healthy in myself first and um, that I don't have to have all the answers. That's not what leadership's about. I'd say don't, don't think that anything's out of reach. If you talk to the right people and open yourself up a bit more, things will not fall in your lap, but things will be easier to work towards. Don't be scared to say yes and also don't be scared to say no. The Centre for Multicultural Youth's Youth Advisory Group, or YAG, is another great example of a program that is empowering youth leaders and ensuring that young people's voices are heard. The CMY YAG provides opportunities for young people from migrant and refugee backgrounds to have their say and influence on CMY's work. My next guest, Jenny Horner, works for CMY Gippsland. Jenny is a team leader with CMY So I was keen to hear about her experience as a leader, as well as how she thinks we can develop our next generation of leaders. Hi Jenny, welcome to the podcast. To get us started, I thought, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your current role with the Centre for Multicultural Youth? Certainly, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to be interviewed. My current role is team leader for the Centre for Multicultural Youth, or as we call it, CMY. And I work in Gippsland in the Rural Presence Project, which focuses on supporting multicultural youth from refugee and migrant backgrounds between the ages of 12 and 25. And the aim is to strengthen young people's participation in work and school and family and community and reduce the disadvantages that they face. And I come to the role, this is my, I'm called a boomerang, this is my second back at CMY um, and I come from a diverse work background initially uh, funnily enough as a librarian and then as a teacher and then I moved into the community services sector. I have experience of leadership in the education sector and more recently the community service sector and it's particularly in this sector where my passion for social justice and youth and especially youth from refugee and migrant backgrounds has found its purpose and focus. CMY's been here in Gippsland for about eight years, but we've been an organisation for 30 years. In Gippsland, we're based in Latrobe Valley, and we have a small team of staff. All of us work part-time, so there's myself, multicultural youth worker, and we have a um, short-term position at the moment a sports engagement officer and we also have a youth facilitator. So my job at Team Leader is twofold really. First to support and supervise the Gippsland team and their work with young people and 
in particular, it's providing um, support to them in the work they do in the leadership opportunities they offer to youth from our youth advisory groups. And, and the other area is implementing strategic coordination in Gippsland to make sure that participation of young people from refugee and migrant backgrounds is really promoted and that's through strategic leadership supporting regional networks and projects. So that can be secondary consultation, providing cultural responsiveness training and a range of other things. Yeah, I think you've picked up on something that's emerged in a number of the interviews and that is, I guess, the different facets of leadership uh, and the different ways that we, we lead across this sector. One of the things that you mentioned that I'm particularly interested in is engaging young people in leadership and, and kind of developing our, our next generation of leaders. Why do you think it's important that young people play a part as leaders in this sector? I think it's absolutely crucial because well, myself personally and the organisation work from a principle of youth participation and with a community development framework and for me I see young people are the experts in their own lives and their communities. They're the ones with the lived experience and it's their knowledge and experience that should be driving the work in the sector. And it's got to come from the bottom up rather than people at the top saying what they think young people want. So I have the privilege of working with young people who face a huge range of challenges that most of us would never experience or could imagine. You know, some of them have come from refugee camps, others were born in Australia, but their parents experienced war and dispossession or um, harsh economic situations and migrated to Australia. They've experienced their own trauma, including intergenerational trauma, in addition to every day facing racism. But only they have those experiences. I don't. And it's important that they're given leadership opportunities so that they're enabled to be included and empowered to have a voice and participate not just in you know, their schools or their workplace, but in organisations like CMY, in government, and a whole range of other organisational decisions and programs, be it local council, youth spaces, sports clubs, whatever it is, they should have a voice because they're the young people that we're here to work for. So it's a matter of inclusion to mm -hmm. me and self-determination and it's a social justice issue. So with youth leadership, we've moved beyond that, that tokenism and we see young people making decisions on issues that are important to them and them being able to take action and with us bringing about stronger and more connected communities. Without that lived experience, then the programs that we present, as I said, for young people are lacking the key element and that's the youth leadership. Yeah, I think you're you're correct there that you know that inclusion of, of young people is key and crucial. But as you note, obviously it's also important to move beyond it kind of being a tokenistic gesture and it being you know properly inclusive uh, and us actually being able to build on the insights of these young people. How do we do this? What do you think is needed to I guess improve that inclusion and more broadly help us to develop our next generation of leaders? It's a really important um, question and consideration. The way I look at it and also seeing why, our next generation of leaders is already here. You know, the young people that I work with 
are already leaders in their communities, be it school, social or sports clubs. And it's really important we give them a voice and opportunity to lead. So seeing why our work is informed and led by the advice and leadership of what we call our youth advisory group, we're developed as a means to assist young people develop their leadership skills mm. and to equip them to become leaders and it provides an avenue to inform leadership within our organisation and others, including government, on matters that are important to young people. So we have a, a process in place to um, make this happen. So our YAG members are selected through an application and interview process. So we have a group of 12 young people aged between 12 and 25 and every 12 months half of that group step out and then a new six come in. Once a month the YAG members come and meet with the staff um, and they meet for about an hour and a half to two hours. They also um, sometimes come to events on weekends and we always have activities in the school holidays. Now some of those are purely social but a lot of them are leadership workshops and learning opportunities that include public speaking, storytelling, how to advocate, how to write your own resume, a whole range of things, particularly things that young people have identified. And so it helps them develop their skills and confidence uh, to equip them to not only identify issues that are important to them but to take action on those issues. So our programs are actually developed around the input from the YAG uh, and they take up leadership roles, uh, they connect with other young leaders locally and throughout Victoria and in this way they're empowered to have a voice on themselves and others in their communities. They actually become leaders. It, it's enhancing their social inclusion and building their community connectedness. So it's long-term work. It's, it's not like we were saying tokenism. Mm. It's an ongoing process and it's a step in developing our next generation of young leaders. We, with our programs we always that we run in the community, we have YAG members facilitating a lot of the workshops, speaking publicly and the response that we get from people is astounding. Mm. They, you can see people change before your eyes, that they come into workshops, particularly ones that are focusing on inclusion, say in the sports club, and they leave the workshop saying how outstanding these young people are. They comment on their confidence, their skills at facilitating a workshop, um, at advocating themselves and others in their communities. So yeah, we draw on their, their skills that they already have and build up a system to build those and provide those opportunities. And I think that's really important. Um, and they tell us opportunities that they'd like too. So it might be coaching, so we might connect them with um, an organisation where they can get that experience. And one of our young people has recently facilitate a multicultural sports um, weekly event and now he's been paid by the local sports association having been recognised as a leader in that area.
That's great. I think the, the work you're doing with um, YAG is, is fantastic. And I really like your point of, you know, we've, we've got these amazing leaders there and it, it really is about kind of supporting them, but giving them those opportunities to lead. Thank you so much for your time, Jenny, and, and for sharing your insights. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, this one's a bit of a tricky one because I'm going to try and push you to give me a one-word answer. Uh, so I'm going to read you a sentence and I want your one-word response. Good leaders should be... Adaptable. Always learning. Relatable. Honest. Empathetic. Uh, healthy. Reliable. And willing to learn. Humble. Positive and creative. Good leaders should be giving power away. What do you think it takes to be a leader in a regional setting like Gippsland? I'd say in a, in a regional setting it takes looking out for each other and looking out for those who may need it, even if they're not asking for it, you know? So just keeping an ear out to hear if a fellow friend's in need or just anyone in general. Networking. It's knowing who's who and keeping in regular contact with them. It's about relationships. When you're in a leadership position in a rural area, you need to take a lot more consideration into what barriers the young people might be facing. I can say having a car, but that's probably <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. But look, it is a big area, um, and there's a wide range of communities across Gippsland, across the six LGAs. And I think how we try and have a presence both in the communities but also across all our staff groups and offices is a challenge because of distance. I'm fortunate I've got a great management group who help with that. Um, but I think that's a real key issue is around how diverse Gippsland is. Openness to the community, responsiveness to the needs of others and a willingness to set aside one's own interests in order to advocate for the interests of others. Yeah, so it's not always easy. Sometimes you feel really far away from others um, and you can feel really out of reach. You really need to find your people who inspire you and you really need to keep them close because they're going to be the ones that thank you and, and keep you sane. <laughs> Beth Edmondson is a senior lecturer at the Churchill campus of Federation University. Beth's background is in history, but she also teaches into a range of other humanities disciplines in the Bachelor of Arts. Beth has also played an important role in supporting the Inner Gippsland Children and Youth Area Partnership. Here, Beth talks about her involvement in this collaboration. I've been involved in that project in two ways. First of all, uh, as part of the leadership group representing the university on that partnership. Uh, and that's been a hugely educational experience for me. Uh, the second area that I've been involved in has been in, term, in the research collaboration between the Inner Gippsland Children and Youth Partnership and Federation University in the four PhD projects that community, that sector organisations have funded. Excellent. So you mentioned your involvement with leadership group on this project. One of the things we're focused on in this episode is how we foster leadership or how we kind of generate our new leaders. So I wonder, what is it do you think that we need to do to help develop our next generation of leaders? One of the things we need to do to develop our next generation of leaders is to ask the next generation what kinds of leaders will matter for them rather than making 
educated guesses of what we think would be most valuable to the next generation. And I think for people who hold leadership roles, it's very tempting to think that we already know what is going to be needed looking into the future. One of the things that will best cultivate effective leadership into the future, I think, will be to work with the people who will be those leaders and those who will be led by those leaders together to work out what kinds of leadership will work for everybody. And I think the extra reason for that is that I think we're likely to be living in a period of significant change and I'm not always persuaded that we're as well poised to be able to read those indicators of change as we we would like to be. Uh, And so I think that bringing more people into the conversation about what would be an appropriate way to move forward uh, will get a better outcome all around. Excellent. So having quite an inclusive discussion around what that future leadership looks like is really key. And and as you mentioned directly, you know, including young people in that discussion. One of the things that we have covered in this episode, one of the things I've chatted to with some of the other guests is is the various challenges um, of being a leader and the challenges of working in this sector. But I'm also really interested in focusing on, on the positives and looking at what some of the rewarding aspects of this work are. So Are you able to share what you find most rewarding about your work? Most rewarding about my work is, probably sounds a little bit selfish, but it's actually the learning. And in a way, I don't think of that as a particularly selfish endeavour, but maybe that's just a bit self-serving. But it's the learning in order to be able to live better, think better, engage better, problem solve better. And so it's the learning itself that's the most rewarding for me uh, because that's the moment of thinking differently and seeing possibilities that can be attempted. And so what I love about that is that it always opens up new possibilities. Uh, And so that idea about learning being the, the kind of, you know, the pivot point for me isn't just about my learning that's the thing that brings all of my work together it's you know the learning that happens when I engage in leadership when I talk with other people uh, when I engage in the community in any way Uh, and it's also the learning that matters in the rest of my you know a professional role when I engage with students and other educators so it's all for me it's always about the learning and the curiosity around that Lovely. I think it's nice the way that that kind of rewarding aspect of your work really links up with where you see the kind of development of new leadership coming from, that sort of connection between listening and learning and and being curious and sort of seeking inclusive conversations. All right. Wonderful. Thank you for your time, Beth. Thank you, Chloe. Our next guest, Jay, demonstrates his strengths as a young leader through his work with Latrobe Street Games. Delivered by Gibbs Sport and funded by the Latrobe Health Assembly, Latrobe Street Games provides free and accessible sport and activities to young people across the Latrobe Valley. As a Street Games coach, Jay is beloved by all of the young people who attend his sessions. 
I dropped by the Mowell Skate Park to chat to Jay about his work with the Street Games team. Alright, yeah, thanks for having me. So I got involved just at the very, very minor beginnings of Street Games through just volunteering with the team and kind of setting up all the, helping set up the meetings and organise what's actually going to be run at Street Games and through connections got linked up with them through like a friend of a friend pretty much and after doing a whole heap of meetings they were looking for staff members to get on the team so I thought oh long shot I'll give it a give it a try I'd just gone out of year 12 I dropped out of year 12 sorry and yeah I was working like flat out 70 hours a week at a chicken shop and thought I'd give it my best and shoot for this awesome goal and yeah Sure enough, I was a successful candidate and joined the street games, and it's been amazing ever since. It's been an amazing experience, so yeah. Wonderful. So you've played sort of a fairly pivotal role in actually shaping and developing the program, I guess, as well as being there on the ground and being a part of the sessions. I know from going to some of the sessions just how popular you are with all the young people who come <laughs> along. So I think, yeah, you're obviously doing a really great job. What have you found most rewarding about this work? Um, Probably, yeah, the social connection um, has been not only for myself gaining a lot of friends and, um, yeah, sort of this kind of reputation, I guess, but, like, connecting our skate park community and our sports community together and breaking down some of those social barriers that I think people have and the stigma behind, oh, I can't go to the skate park because certain crowds or I can't do this because certain people. And it's, I mean, once, once there's someone to break down that, stigma I think it's it's pretty good and I'm kind of friends with everyone from all sorts of uh, walks of life so being able to do that for others is just amazing so yeah, yeah as I said I've, I've seen how excited the kids get around you so it's clear that you are really fostering that positive inclusive environment where everybody feels you know part of this little street games community and I think as an outsider looking in to me at least it seems like a big part of that is that the coaches are young people and there's that you know relatability mm. um, one of the things we've considered in this episode is the importance of having youth leaders or young leaders do you agree that that's an important yeah, thing and why yeah. um, I'd say it's just I mean there's there's all the talk about you know having a familiar face so someone who's always coming back but if it's someone of the same like age that they're program or whatever is trying to target or is is made for you know it's it's a bit it's even easier to break down those kind of I know but it's so much easier to talk to someone of your own age you know and it's you can relate on so many topics and I know we just understand each other we understand what people have gone through in the same generation and you know it's it's I know it's just really easy once you've got a youth mentor I'm gonna say to be able to yeah get along with other youth yeah yeah, excellent. And it sounds like it is a kind of reciprocity there where, you know, they're benefiting and you're benefiting as <laughs> exactly, well and, yeah. and enjoying the process. Exactly. Well, thanks for your time, Jay, and for sharing your insights on leadership and street games. Yeah, no, thank you. Like Jay, my next guest, Catherine, is also involved with Latrobe Street Games. Catherine is the team's social marketing coordinator, but their work as an active young leader in the Gippsland community also extends much more widely. As we cover in our chat, Catherine is involved in and has initiated a variety of powerful projects, groups and events in our region. I asked Catherine to share a bit about themselves and what motivates their committed enthusiasm to Gippsland's young people. 
My name's Catherine. I identify as non-binary, so I go by they, them pronouns. And I'm involved in a lot of different areas of the community. Um, so I'm currently um, a mentor with Ladder, um, and I mentor a young queer person there, as well as with Gippsland FM. We're starting up a radio show around LGBTIQ issues uh, just at the moment. I'm helping at the moment to establish a um, leadership committee with the Queers Are Here, which is an adult social group over in Trelgan, uh, which is very exciting. I'm also part of the Youth Governance Committee with Youth Space, uh, so we make uh, decisions on programs that happen within the space. Um, I'm secretary with the Big Picture Space Inc. board, uh, which is a local arts funding not-for-profit, and that's pretty, that's pretty fun. I really enjoyed that. I also do some instructing, um, instructor driving with um, a couple of young people and um, I'm planning a poultry slam night for Morwell which is set to kick off in 2020 with a friend of mine. Um, I'm a co-leader with the Gippie Gang which is a local union solidarity group that started up through Trades Hall and I work in social marketing with Latrobe Street Games. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. So you're obviously very busy and very engaged in the community and working on some really exciting stuff. So the Poetry Slam in particular, I think, wow, that sounds, <laughs> sounds great for something like that to be happening in Morwell. For sure. So as I said, you're obviously very busy. It's clear that you're really passionate about these different things you're working on. What motivates you to do this work? I imagine it's hard. What, what keeps you going? Yeah, so really people, like I have a lot of friends in the area, friendships that I've cultivated mainly within the last couple of years. Um, and I just really, I just love people. I just love hearing their stories. I love hearing about their successes. You know, it's so heartbreaking to see them go through um, struggle in the area for different reasons. And I think what really motiva- motivates me is trying to create a better area for them and, and trying to... Um, hear their stories and and find ways to make the area better for future generations as well. Expression and stories seems like a sort of common thread through a lot of what you're doing which is really lovely uh, and is particularly crucial for young people to have that opportunity to express themselves. So all the work that you're doing is fantastic and I think you're probably a really good example of like a model leader, model you know youth leader. What do you think that organisations can do to help support and develop our next generation of leaders? So I guess maybe what's worked for you and and what would you like to see that perhaps isn't already there? Yeah, so the organisations that are doing it best are really authentically engaging young people um, in all levels of their organisations and that's something that Latrobe Street Games is doing really well and something that uh, Latrobe Youth Space is doing really well. Um, Really all I can urge organisations to do is listen, listen to us and what we need you know, involve us in decision making at every level. And I know that's not always easy, you know, sometimes the capacity isn't there. Um, But if you genuinely try to build that capacity and provide opportunities and genuinely try to connect to the youth community, you know, we'll have an area where young people, they feel like they matter, they feel like their voices are actually being heard and they'll feel like they actually have a place here and, and will be more likely to stay in the future. What do you think your personal leadership style is like and do you have a leadership philosophy? I do. I think that being open to being wrong and listening to advice, particularly from those on whose behalf one is endeavouring to lead, is crucial. I'd say mine's more relating to where other people are at 
in their their walk of life. <laughs> Just <laughs> um, getting on the same, getting down on the same level as them, and seeing what they've done to achieve what they have, and just kind of relate to it yeah so being yeah. relatable Be, and understanding. yeah being able to connect on the same level is good yeah. as a leader it's important to use your voice to amplify the voices of others and allow the opportunity for them to voice their opinions and their voices yeah I, I don't think there should be a hierarchy i think leaders should be a part of the team and willing to do whatever the team's doing I think leaders should be strong and advocate for voices that aren't being heard and create a platform for them to speak instead of being that voice. I'm sort of a mix between more empathetic and analytical, so I balance those pretty nicely. I think in leadership I can be that open ear and I can also you know, help to plan and strategize. My leadership philosophy is really just you know, be healthy, happy, visible and, and try to love yourself because honestly that's pretty radical particularly um, if you're a minority like in the queer community. I work from a strengths-based shared leadership approach. I'm strongly driven by social justice and the vision to empower young people from refugee and migrant backgrounds so that they can fully participate and flourish in Australian society. It's through providing sustainable youth leadership programs that aim to strengthen young people's sense of well-being their skills, their passions, their voices, and their sense of belonging in their communities and community programs so that we can build inclusive environments for young people. My staff group are probably able to give a more objective answer, but I'd like to think I'm approachable and relaxed. I don't profess to have all the answers, but I hope I can steer people towards them. That brings us to the conclusion of the final episode for this season of the Inner Gippsland Children and Youth Learning Exchange podcast. I hope that you enjoyed hearing from this episode's guests, Tim, Kira, Janelle, Jenny, Beth, Jay and Catherine, as well as all of the guests featured on our previous episodes. If you haven't already caught up on episodes one to five, then I encourage you to go back and check them out. Thanks for listening.